0: So I don't know if I would respond exactly like those leaders did, right? (laughs) Uh, This past Friday night, uh, we had our volunteer kickoff uh, for Kids City and those that work in Kids City. And so the pastors actually got to keep the kids. And I can tell you that I am thankful for our Kids City volunteers and the time that they give, right? Because our room looked like that, like... That craziness, right? But we didn't have silly string to fight back, so we were on our own. We only had pizza, and so we'd just give them a slice and like, okay, go, right? And so that's kind of what our Friday night looked like. But what we're talking about today as we continue our series, Help I've Got Kids, okay, is this idea of how are we going to respond, Now, not only are we going to respond to the things that kids bring our way, but also how are we going to respond to a generation that ultimately is looking at us as adults and saying, all right, you're talking about this Jesus, you're talking about God, but do you truly believe the things that you're talking about, right? And do you truly believe that he can do the things that you say he can do? Or have you just kind of said, well, you know, this Jesus thing is something I'll just kind of do, right? And so what we're going to look at this morning is a generation that was looking to the adults that were around them and asking, Okay, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond to the things that are going on, okay? And so, uh, as we've walked through this series, we've also done one other thing. We have taken this idea of parenting, because some of us don't have kids, right? And so, we've taken this idea of parenting and compared it to the idea of leadership, right? If we are leading others, right? So, parents lead the home, but yet, if we don't have kids, okay, then what are we asked to do here? Well, we're asking you to lead in other areas of your life, right? And to lead others in that. And so, as we're going through today, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah, all right? So let me give you a little context of where we are here in the book of Nehemiah, okay? So Jerusalem's walls have been torn down. So these are our walls here, and they're, they're falling down, right? They're in a wreck, they're in a mess, okay? And so the wall has been torn down, and Nehemiah gets word that this has happened. Now, why does that affect Nehemiah? Well, because this is Nehemiah's hometown, Like, this is where Nehemiah has grown up. This is where he has been. And so he hears and gets word that the walls have been destroyed, that the gates have been burned. And that's the condition of the city. In other words, not a great condition, right? Because the walls were the protection to anything outside of the walls. And so if the walls not there, then the city is vulnerable to any kind of attack or anybody who's coming in. But here's the deal. And, I, and we, we've taken part of this message from a guy by the name of Reggie Joyner, okay? And he writes, he actually writes our kids' curriculum, okay? And so our orange curriculum. And so he has a part in that. But he did a study on Nehemiah. And as he looked at that study, what he noticed from a, from a children's minister's standpoint is that there is a whole other level to the story of Nehemiah. Because here's what you have in the book of Nehemiah. You have this group of people who are about to embark on rebuilding the wall. But imagine yourself being a teen or a kid in that situation. Looking at your parents and how they respond to this call to rebuild the wall. In other words, if you're a 13-year-old, let's say, just sitting there looking at your parents. The city is in ruins, right? And here the parents are just sitting there going, well, you know, the walls are down. The walls are burned. What are we going to do? But yet... This 13-year-old has also heard about this fellow by the name of Joshua who walked around a city seven times, blew some trumpets, and the walls fell down, right? This 13-year-old has heard about this fellow by the name of Moses and what he has done. And he's heard all these great stories, and then he's sitting here looking at the parents going, why are we not doing something about this? Right? Why are we not doing something about this? And when we look at the generation that we have now, I truly believe that they are looking at us not only as parents, but they're looking at us as adults going, okay, you talk about this Jesus, but do you truly believe he can do the things that he can do? And so, as we pick up in Nehemiah 1, this is where we're going to begin today, okay? And so what we find is that things are not well. Right? Like they approach Nehemiah and they tell him this. They say, hey, look, the walls have been broken down. The gates have been burned out and the city is not in good condition. Now, here's what I love about Nehemiah. Nehemiah's a doer. Like Nehemiah would not like, oh, that stinks. Well, too bad. Nope. Nehemiah takes action. Right? Nehemiah begins to make a move towards what he wants to change. So here's the thing. Here's some things that we can gather from Nehemiah's story this morning, all right? The first one is this. We have to name what is broken, all right? We have to name what is broken. So in chapter 1, verse 3, again, they come to him and they say, Okay, those who survived the exile are back in the province, and those that are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire, All right, so the town is in ruins. And so he hears this, and then what does he do? Well, in verse 4, it says that he goes to a place of prayer and fasting and mourning. Like his heart is broken for the condition of his city that he grew up in. His heart is broken for that community. And so my first question this morning, if we talk about naming what is broken, do our hearts break for what is broken in our community? Do our hearts break for what is broken outside of these walls right here? But we could even, in the, st- in the setting we're in, we could turn that inward and say, do our hearts break for what happens within these walls? And the kids that sit in this class or in this, in this school each and every week, do our hearts break for that? Because here's the thing, Crestview, the school we're sitting in, okay, is a Title I school, meaning that the majority or higher than the majority qualify for free and reduced lunches and so the majority of the students who sit in this cafeteria every day truly cannot afford to buy the meal that they are getting that's the condition of this school and so when we do something like a parent's night out that is our attempt and our effort is to make an impact into what is broken right well you have to begin to tap into this school and this community but also the kids and the people that are around us in our daily lives. Now, here's the thing. If we can't name the problem, we can't fix the problem, right? If we can't name the problem, we can't fix the problem. So in other words, if we don't know what the problem is, it's going to be really hard for us to then fix it. So what is it that truly makes our stomachs turn? For our community, right? And for the people that are around us, what is it that really gets us worked up? When we hear something about a child or we hear something about a family, what is it that just bothers our hearts? Man, that's what we need to begin to go after. That's what we need to begin to pour into. And so Nehemiah, what Nehemiah does is he goes and he checks out the problem. He assesses the situation and he finds that it's a wreck, right? So he's prayed, he's fasted, and then he goes to the city. So look here. This may be a bold statement, but I believe it's true, okay? And here it is. And I think it'll be up on the screen. If our church ignores the problems that are happening in our community, then we forfeit our right to influence our our community. Let me say that again. If our church ignores the problems that are happening in our community, we forfeit our right to have influence in the community. In other words, if we ignore these things that are broken around us and we just say, well, you know, that's great. We just use the school on Sunday mornings and that's when we do it, right? And we don't really worry about Crestview and we don't worry about Miriam and we don't worry about the people in our community, but we just use this for our convenience. Again, I believe that we forfeit our opportunity to have an impact, right? We forfeit our, imp- our opportunity to have an impact. Our church ultimately becomes silenced in our influence, But look here, we don't have influence because we're right, right? We have influence because we care. And we don't have influence with our community because we're right about what we believe, but we have influence in our community because we treat them the way that they deserve, right? We show them the love that they deserve. So here's the thing. We need to start naming what's broken. So again, one of the things I named was our Title I school that we're sitting in right here. Another one is right over here, Merriam Park is another title one school, right? And then the poverty level of Miriam is actually pretty high. Like there is a lot of apartment complexes right around us that, man, my desire is that we go into that community and we say, look, we want to love you and we want to love you well, right? But we don't want to love them because it's the right thing to do or because we're good people, but because we're God's people. Right? We're God's people, and that's our opportunity to make an impact in the things that are around us and the way that they are hurting. So again, like I said, Nehemiah was a doer, right? So Nehemiah gets out there and he assesses the situation, and he names what is wrong, and then he, he goes on and he begins to find the potential threat, right? The potential threat. Well, what's the threat? Well, there's a gap in the wall. The enemy has an opportunity to come in. The, And jump into the city. Now, he makes an interesting statement at the end of chapter 1. And he says this. He says, I was a cupbearer to the king. Okay, so he's, he's heard what's going on. Right? He's prayed. He's fasted. He's mourning for it. His heart is breaking for it. But then he slips in this little statement. I am a cupbearer or I was a cupbearer to the king. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, it means he's showing us who he was not, right? Who he was not. And here's who he was not. He was not a priest, right? He was not a spiritual leader. He was simply a cupbearer. But look here. His only job was to keep the king alive, right? He would sample, taste food before the king had it. If he died, then obviously the king wouldn't eat it, right? But that was his job. So he didn't necessarily have a spiritual job, But look here, we are responsible for engaging in a broken world, not because it's our job description, but because we are God's people. Right? Not because of our job description. And so he takes action, right? He takes action and he leverages what he has. Well, what does he have? Well, he has a great position right? He has a great position right there with the king. And so he goes to the king and he says, look, my heart breaks for this community. I desire to go into this community. And the king actually says, okay, that's awesome. And then he even loads him up with resources, right? He loads him up with resources. And then so he heads over to Jerusalem and he's able to use the things that he has. So my question to us is this, if we are wanting to impact this next generation What are the things that we can use and leverage? What are the things that we have? Now, not just as a church, but what are the things that you have personally, right? Your status, your influence, your resources, your privileges, your connections, right? Do you have people that you're connected to right here in this school that you could pour into and connect with? What does that look like for us? And what does that look like for us as a church? Now, We have a lot of us that are pouring into our next generation of our kids, right? Our church kids that we have right here, our Kid City kids. But guess what? Just because we're serving in in Kid City or not serving in Kid City doesn't mean we're not off the hook from pouring into the next generation, right? It's each and every one of ours' responsibility to pour into the next generation because we are God's people we are God's people. Now, when Nehemiah found out what was wrong in his hometown, okay, he went and he leveraged what he had, but he also risked what he had, because it was a risk to go before the king, right? It was a risk to go before the king, so Nehemiah finds out, okay, this is what's going on, and he goes to the king and risk everything and says, I desire to do this, because it was almost kind of disrespectful to just step up before the king and give a request, but he risked everything that he had. He, had, he risked his position as a cupbearer. He risked his pr- privilege. And he risk his power. But look here. When we expect to rebuild or restore anything, it will typically cost us something personally. It will typically cost us something personally. So how does that look for us as parents? Well, it may cost us a little bit of time, right? It may cost us a little bit of our pouring into the next generation. But let's be honest, okay? We all want preschoolers to get a better start, right? I don't think there's anybody in here that goes, well, you know, I don't want our preschoolers to have a a great experience, (laughs) right? We want our preschoolers to have a great start. We all want struggling children to thrive, And we all want to rid our city of poverty and crime. And we all want whatever's broken to be restored. I don't think there's anybody in here that goes, man, I don't know, our broken community, I'd really love for it to just get broken more. No, we have a heart for things to be restored, right? We have a heart for things to be changed. And so Nehemiah goes and he assesses the situation. And he steps out of his comfort zone of the palace and he goes to where things are happening and he goes up to the wall and he sees the wall and he assesses the wall and he's like man things are a wreck this is not good not good but here's what we can find out of that is look when he goes there he shows up on the scene and he sees it right but here's the thing proximity can always change your perspective Proximity can change your perspective. In other words, if this particular thing is never happening to you or never happening in your life, then our eyes are usually not open to it, right? But if that thing is, man, like a major source in our life and the thing, our eyes are right there because why? Because we're right in it, right? We're right in the blood and the mud of that. And so you may not have a student that is at Crestview, but there is a brokenness that is here. You may not even live in Merriam. But there is a brokenness that is here. And so where is our heart for that? Right? Where is our heart for that in the way that we can impact those around us? Because here's the thing. If enough of us in this room get close enough to what's happening, then maybe we could do something about what seems to be impossible. Right? Because we look at a, at a school like this and we go, man, Crestview is a Title I school. That seems impossible that we could change that statistic. But if we leveraged the things that we have, there might be an opportunity for us even to change that. Right? We could even change that. And we say, well, you know, there's a majority of the people within Merriam that are lost, don't know Jesus. We can leverage what we have, and we can change that. Because here's the thing. I don't know that we should ever measure our church's success by the amount of people in this room. Okay, let me say that again. I don't think that we should ever measure our church's success by the amount of people that are sitting in this room. But here's what I think we should measure it by, okay? How many of us are willing to show up In the lives of other people. How many of us are willing to show up in the lives of other people? To step outside of these walls. And to make an impact on the community around us. Because like I said before. We have a generation that is sitting in the wings. Watching us going okay. They go to church every Sunday. They talk about Jesus occasionally. They pray when they eat. But man. Do they truly believe that he can impact a whole community? Do they truly believe that he can impact a whole school? Do they truly believe it? Now, as we've talked about all throughout this series, there's some things that we as adults and as parents truly need to be, right? And we talked about them last week. We need to be present, we need to be engaged, and we need to be consistent. Right? We talked about that. But here's the thing. There is no substitute for that in the life of a kid. Whether they have a parent or not, they need someone in their life who is consistent, who is present, and who is engaged. Same thing in leadership, when we talk about being a leader, right? The leader needs to be consistent, needs to be present, and needs to be engaged. And if we're not willing to get close, then it's going to be hard for us to engage them. Right? Right? That's why typically when you walk up to somebody and you introduce yourself like, Hey, Doug, how you doing? Nice to meet you, right? I did the political handshake, sorry. But anyway, right? Like, hey, Doug, you, you go to them. You go to where they are, right? I don't say, hey, Doug, good to see you. No, I'm going where Doug is. Right? I'm going to engage him. And that's what Nehemiah did. He stepped back to the wall And he goes to Jerusalem to engage the people that he wants to give them the vision to change the community. So look here in chapter 2, verse 17. Nehemiah gives this, this push, if you will, to his people. And he says this. He says, look, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And the people replied, We ain't doing it. Nope. The people replied, Let us start rebuilding. Let's start rebuilding. But as you go through chapter 3, look, here's the people that he had. He didn't have a whole crew of construction workers, and he said, Hey, we're going to go rebuild the wall. If you go through chapter three, here's what you find. You find perfume makers, you find jewelry designers, you find um, politicians, merchants, and then you have this cupbearer leading the way, right? Like you don't have a guy with a degree in construction management going, hey, this is how we're going to rebuild the wall. No, you have a cupbearer who comes to them and says, we must rebuild the wall. We must do something about it. And what happens? Everybody steps up. Everybody plays a part, and the wall is rebuilt, and the change comes into the community. Now, here's the other thing. Look here. There were a lot of people doing something that were not experts at what they were doing, right? Like a perfume maker probably doesn't know a whole lot about rebuilding a wall, but sometimes, here's the thing, sometimes we have to do what we don't know how to do, right? Like maybe you hear me talk about apartment ministry, or you hear me talk about getting into our community, and that freaks you out. You're like, I don't want to do that. Sometimes we have to do what we don't know how to do. Now, again, in this story, everybody steps up. But why? Why do they step up? Because it becomes personal, right? It becomes personal. Personal, Because here you have these individuals sitting within the wall. And what's outside of the wall? Well, you have evil outside of the wall, right? You have uh, enemies that are coming against the city. And so this wall is going to be something that is going to be important to their survival. But here's the next step even deeper. It's survival of the next generation, right? It's a continuation of those people. So, here's the main point that I want you to see. Okay, so we have perfume makers. We have all of these different people that are coming together to build a wall. But here's the thing. As we look around the room, okay, everybody that Nehemiah needed to rebuild the wall was already in the city. Right? They were already in the city. He didn't go and gather a whole new group of people, bring them to Jerusalem and say, hey, we're going to rebuild the wall. No, he used the people that were already there, right? They were already there. And he has this really cool thing that happens. So some of the same people, as we talked about at the beginning, who had been sitting around for decades, just watching, right, who had just been sitting, were the same people who would then rebuild the gates and the walls. But look here. Today, as we sit right here, okay? As we sit right here, we are a part of the solution to rebuild and restore what is broken in the lives of the people in our community. We're it. I truly believe it. I truly believe that we are it in the ways that we can impact this school. I don't believe it's a coincidence that God has put us right here in this school. He wants to use us here and here where we are. Now, you say, okay, all that's great. What does that have to do with parenting, right? Like, aren't we in the middle of a a parenting series? We are, and that's the obvious group that we can't leave out, okay? So here's the thing. As we move through Nehemiah, we find ourselves in this place now that the people have started to rebuild the wall. They're starting to put things in place, but they're getting tired, and they're getting cranky. And things are not going well. But what he does is he rallies the troops. And in chapter 4, verse 13, this is what he says. He says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places and posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Because not only are the people on the inside anxious, but there are enemies just right outside the wall saying, we're about to come attack. We're coming in. And they're making fun of them for attempting to rebuild this wall. And then look what he says there at the end. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters and your wives in your homes. So think about that for a minute. Imagine the, the emotion, right, in this moment. Like this is, a, this is a big deal because what he has done is he has put these families together right there in the gaps. And in that one move, here's what Nehemiah does, okay? He recasts his vision for them in such a way that it becomes personal to everybody. Because now, in this gap, is not only all of Jerusalem, but it's your family. Your family is standing in this gap. Your sons and your daughters. And this rebuilding of this wall is going to be the protection for your family. Right? Your family. And so they continued to build and build quickly. And then how quickly do they rebuild the wall? Well, they rebuild the wall in 52 days. 52 days. See? They're in the middle of it, right? They're in the middle of it, and they're experiencing it, and they're seeing it, and their enemy is right there, and they're like, we've got to get this wall done. And so, to the sight of their enemies, they amaze their enemies right? They amaze their enemies. Their enemies are looking, going, wow, they did that quickly. But here's the other cool thing that Nehemiah does. He sets up those families as heroes. Ultimately, he sets those families up as heroes. Because look, here is the family in the gap, and now mom and dad are rebuilding the wall. The kids are helping, and they're a part of it. And then what happens? Okay, we have quickly built this wall in 52 days. God has assisted us in that, and they have an opportunity to then share that with their children, right? With their children, because here's what, here's what we've talked about over the past couple weeks, that kids will ultimately decide what they think about God and about church by what you as the parents set for them as the foundation. So imagine perhaps that family that was sitting there at the gap, and Nehemiah goes, you're going to rebuild this gap. And the mom and dad go, no, we're not. Well, if you're a child looking at that, what would you think? Well, they don't have any belief that this can happen. They don't have any trust that this can happen. But here's the thing, all right? As I said before, this generation is hungry for a better version of the church and of the believer that makes people a priority and makes God a priority. And that's what made Nehemiah relentless in his determination. Right? We're going to get this thing done. And we're not going to get this thing done because Nehemiah, myself, wants the honor and the privilege of rebuilding this wall. No, because I love these people, and I want to protect them. And so that's when every obstacle gets in the way for Nehemiah. He pushes it out of the way, and he goes forward. So, we've got to keep working together regardless, right? We've got to work together as parents. We've got to work together as a church body. Now, our curriculum that we use on Sunday mornings is called Orange Curriculum. And the reason that it's called Orange Curriculum is because there's two colors that come together to create orange, right? There's yellow and there's blue. I'm totally kidding. Okay, there's yellow and there's red. Right? There's yellow, which represents the light of the church. And there's red, which represents the heart of the parent. And you put those two together and you get orange. Right? And so there's single parents in the room. Guess what? You have a church family that's coming around you to support your children. Parents, we as a church have your kids. We're a team. Right? Right? Those of us who don't have kids, guess what? You have an opportunity to pour into the young people that walk in these doors every week. Those of you who don't have kids, you have an opportunity to pour into the kids that are perhaps sitting in this lunchroom each and every day of each and every week. You have a chance for us all to come together and to impact the next generation so that when they look at us as adults, they go, wow, this is important to them. You see, Nehemiah decided that Jerusalem's problems were his problems, right? Jerusalem's problems were his problems. There's gaps in the walls, the gates are burned, that is my problem. And then he got everybody to realize, oh wait, no, no, that's not just Nehemiah's problem, that's our problem, right? It's our problem. And so raising up this next generation is for all of us to come together and to do it. And like I said before, those things seem impossible, right? Changing the status of a Title I school. Impacting apartment complexes across the road. It seems impossible, but look here. When it's no longer your problem or my problem, but instead it's our problem, we have more resources to make that change. Right? To make that change. So, they rebuilt the wall in 52 days. Their skeptics are going, wow. Look at that, right? The leaders and the families are going, wow, look at that. But most importantly, there's this generation sitting back going, wow, look at that. They trusted and they got it done. So there's three things that happened when the walls were rebuilt. Here's the first one. I'll go through these quickly, all right? Those outside the wall, the skeptics, changed what they believed about God right? Nehemiah writes in chapter 6, verse 16, he says this, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God, right? So their whole mindset, looking at these people within Jerusalem, their whole mindset had changed. The next one is this, those inside the wall changed how they listened to God. So in Nehemiah 8, we see this, We see that it says, Ezra the priest opened the scriptures, and he read aloud from it, from daybreak till noon. That's a long Sunday, right? You're like, okay, at least we didn't do that today, right? But as he faced the square before the water gate, and in the presence of the men and the women and others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And so here he is sharing the Old Testament, right? What we would say as the first five books of the Bible is he is reading through that. They are listening for what God is saying. Telling them and sharing with them. Because why? Because they want to be more in tune with God because of what has happened in the rebuilding of the wall. And the third one is this. A generation changed how they worshipped and saw God. Right? A generation changed how they worshipped and saw God. In verse 17 of chapter 8, we see this. It says, from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this. And their joy was very great. So all the way back to Joshua. They hadn't celebrated like that since. And this may be a bold statement, but because they haven't seen God move since. Or seen him move like that since. So man, what if we were able to impact our community to impact the next generation in such a way that we have joy, right? This joy that we come into this place and go, look at what God is doing. Not what we're doing as a church, but what God is doing and how he is impacting those around us. Because when we work together, we can change how a generation truly sees God. Right? We can change how a generation sees God. Now, As leaders, we need to reimagine the world we're designing for this next generation, right? We need to bring wonderment, and we need to bring awe into their view of God. If we just sit back, and God is all all God is for us as parents, or as leaders, or as a family, if He's just simply somebody we pray to at the dinner table, and that's the extent of our relationship with Him, or it's going to church every so often, Our young people are going to look at that and go, wow, that's really not a huge priority for them. That's really not a big deal. But when we look at that, man, there is an opportunity for us to change their hearts and their minds and how they look at the church. And they can look at the church and go, wow, I remember when that church was. 40 or so people meeting in a cafeteria and now it has grown and it is impacting a community and there are other kids in my classroom that I'm having an opportunity to maybe share about Jesus and all of these different things. You see how their eyes are open to what God can do when we point them in that direction. Now here's the other thing about it. In the book of Nehemiah, we don't see God do this major miracle. In other words, God doesn't come down, touch the wall, and then it be rebuilt, what does he do? He uses the people that are there and he works through them to make the change and to make the impact. And I truly believe that's what God wants for us as a church. I truly believe that's what God, we as leadership at New City believe that's what God wants to do. Is He wants to use the people of New City, he wants to use the churches in this community, and he wants to work through us to make the impact. So the question is, Are you going to be a part of that? Do you want to be a part of that? Right? And one of the places that that starts is within our homes as parents and the opportunity we have to work and to help change that generation. But then it moves outside of that and it moves outside into our community and where we are. And the opportunity that we have here. Whether we have it here at Crestview or whether we have it here in Merriam, But we have an opportunity. Right? We have an opportunity. And we have an opportunity to do that together. So here's how we're going to end the service. All right. So there's a little card here. And maybe in that you're saying, man, I want to pour into the next generation. Right. And so there's an opportunity for you to pour into the next generation by actually being a part of that on Sunday mornings. And that's what this card is about. So if you would be interested in helping and leading with preschool or in elementary and impacting our next generation, I know that many of you already do this, but man, we still have an opportunity to pour into that generation, right? And so if that's you, I'd love for you to fill this card out for you or fill it out with your information. And then there's a little Lego box right back there. And what you're doing through that is saying, I want to help impact this next generation within our church. But here's what I'm also going to ask you to do is this. Each and every one of us, I believe, are called to be a part of our impact in our community. Right? And so I'm going to ask you this morning to stand in the gap for that next generation. Right? And it may be a little awkward, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If that's you, if you're like, yes, I want to stand in the gap for this next generation by what this church is doing, and I want the younger generation to look at us as a church and see what God is doing, then I'm going to ask you to actually physically stand.